It is a blessing to have each of you with us this morning as we worship and we do spend some time just kind of celebrating. There's some great things that are happening in the lives of this church and I'm very grateful for each of you. I would like to just take a moment and uh, first of all, thank you for letting me take vacation for two weeks, which is very unusual for a pastor. And it is always nice to go on vacation. It's always nice to come back afterwards. So uh, not that I didn't enjoy it. Actually, a part of the time we were able to spend here, I just didn't tell everybody. Uh, We were here for part of that time. And then uh, we did get to escape to the mountains of North Carolina for a little bit and had a great time. Got to be in one of our sister Wesleyan churches this past Sunday up in um, Old Fort, uh, North Carolina. It was a great time of worship and enjoyed being with them, but I always miss being with our church. I would also like to take a moment. One of the fears that every pastor has when they go on vacation is what's going to happen while they're gone. It seems like every time that this pastor goes out of town, somebody dies, and I'm almost afraid to go on vacation. Uh, That being said, Uh, I love knowing that you are in good hands when the pastor is out of town, and you definitely were while I was gone. Uh, Obviously, I was able to be here for Joyce's funeral, but uh, there were so many of the staff and other members of the church who went out of the way to love on those who were hurting, those who were in the hospital, those who were grieving. So I simply say thank you for all those who helped make my vacation possible. Uh, It is a blessing to know them a part of such a great church. So uh, thank you very, very much. Obviously, we've just addressed the uh, high school graduates and even the college graduates, and uh, we are excited about the things that God has in store for them. Uh, The reality is that each one of them has something different that is in store for them. Some of them will go to college, and they will spend a good deal of time trying to figure out exactly what God has for them next while they're there. I know when I went to college, I had no idea what God had for me. I went because... Well, that was what I thought I was supposed to do, but I went to be an accountant, and God actually had a different plan, and now I find myself as a pastor. Some will go to college. Some will immediately enter the workforce. Uh, Some of you already have jobs, which is very exciting. I'm sure mom and dad are thinking, thank you for not building up my debt, Uh, and at the same time, they're grateful to see you contribute as well. So some will immediately go to the military. I was thinking about our class that graduated last year, and Donald Bearden was one of those who immediately immediately went to the United States Army, and he is there serving in Afghanistan now. Uh, Who knows what lies ahead uh, for our young people? Many of them, it will be years down the road, and they will eventually figure out what is next. It is difficult as they go through a transition like this, and although high school can be very challenging at times, there is a sense of stability And knowing that this is what you'll be doing for the next four years. You went to your high school four years ago and you knew that every day for the next four years you were going to have to get up and you were going to go to school. And then you would sit through all these classes and then you would go home. Well, what happens now? Some of that stability seems to be gone. It seems you're at a fork in the road for many of you today with about 10 different possible directions. Embrace it. And everyone else in here is encouraged to pray for these graduates as they move forward. I don't know who these people will become, but I believe that God has brought each of these individuals to this point, and he is going to use them in the future as well. There's no doubt that we all want our graduates to be successful, but 
The thing we really want is for them to continually become more and more like Jesus Christ. We want our graduates to live as disciples, seeking his will and his heart for them. We are proud of every single one of you, but we also know that this is not the end of the journey for any one of you, for all of us are on this journey together. Years ago when... um, By the way, my son Andrew is one of the graduates. He was the last one that was recognized up here. Uh, Years ago, he was a, a, actually, I guess he was probably about four years old or so. We had just moved to Delaware, and we had watched a movie that was, it was a cartoon movie, and some of the cartoon movies, they say things on there that, man, I don't know why they'd put it on the cartoon movies. Anyways, in one of the scenes, one of the cartoon characters referred to somebody else as a big fat jerk. Well... There are some things you don't want your kids to repeat, and wouldn't you know it, next thing you know, Andrew is referring to someone as a big fat jerk. So we had this big conversation about you're not allowed to call somebody that because it, it sounds really ugly and you're not supposed to say anything that, that would be cross or ugly toward other individuals. And we thought that the message had gotten across clearly. So we sent them over to a friend's house, and they were going to babysit. And while they were there, we come back later, and we find out what had happened. Apparently, Andrew was joking around with uh, one of the individuals there. He looked at me and said, you're a big, fat trash can. (laughs) He understood that the word jerk probably wasn't the best word, but I guess he didn't get that you weren't supposed to say the big, fat part as well. So... Anyways, it was just one of those humorous things we looked at, we laughed about it, we looked at it, and we recognized that sometimes getting a message across is a little more difficult. Let me ask you this, and I'm going to ask it now, and then I'll explain it why I'm asking the question. I'm not asking if you're a big fat trash can today, but are you a big fat salad bar? Let me explain that that question there. There was a restaurant in Oklahoma City called Molly Murphy's. And right in the middle of the restaurant, there was an amazing car. It was a candy apple red Jaguar with a white leather interior. This car was made for the open road. However, when you walked around to the front of the car and looked under the hood, there was a salad bar. A salad bar was put in place of the powerful Jaguar V8 engine. How embarrassing this must have been for the Jaguar. A vehicle that was intended for grace and beauty and speed. Something to be admired by fellow travelers along this journey. But instead, this Jaguar able to do 100 miles per hour when equipped equipped appropriately without even breaking a sweat. It has become a salad bar. By the way, from what I am told, it is a very nice salad bar. But it is nothing more than a centerpiece to a cool restaurant. Believers are to be new creations in him. We are empowered to live for Jesus Christ. However, when we do not understand the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we will be about as effective as a Jaguar with a salad bar in its motor. I echo the question I asked you earlier, are you a big fat salad bar? If you were made for something great, why would you ever settle 
for something far less. You know, I picked out a few examples of Scripture here where individuals were intended for something great and they had a choice to make where they were either going to become something amazing or they were going to settle for less. The first one is a very familiar passage to us. It comes from the story of King David, although at this point he's not yet king. It's in 1 Samuel chapter 16 and uh, Samuel has... Uh, been given instructions by God, you are to go and anoint the next king of Israel. There's a little bit of a problem here because Saul is still the king. Samuel goes to the house of Jesse and he says, hey, Jesse, I need you to bring me your sons because God has told me that I will anoint one of your sons as the next king of Israel. We see in 1 Samuel chapter 16 in verse 10 and 11, it says, Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? Actually, he's, he's brought seven of his sons. He's got eight sons total. He's brought seven of them before Samuel. Samuel looks at the first one. He thinks, man, this guy's a stud. This is the one. It's got to be. This guy's good looking. He's strong. He's, he looks like someone who could really overpower everybody. But the Lord says in verse 7, do not consider his height nor his appearance for man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. So he bring the next one in and the next one and the next one and all the way through. And can you kind of hear it in Samuel's voice? Is that it? Do you have any other sons? There's a sense of disappointment. I wonder even if Jesse, as he hears that question, if he thinks to himself, well, maybe he got it wrong. It seemed like such a big day. Samuel showed up. One of my boys is going to be the next king. I guess not. Samuel says, is there anyone else? Are these all the sons you have? In verse 12, we're told, so he sent for him, talking about David, and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. And then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. This one that is brought in last is the youngest of the eight boys. He is the one who they've left him outside because he's probably the smallest one. And surely when Samuel showed up, Jesse's thinking to himself, well, you know what I got this one's kind of big and strong, and this one's a good leader, and this one's good looking, and Jesse's looking at him. He's got it all figured out in his head. But God is looking for something different from what man's looking at. And what happens is now David comes in. We don't know a whole lot about David. We know he was a shepherd boy. We know there were times that he had to protect himself and his sheep. Therefore, he, he discovered how to take care of himself. Later on, we'll see him as one who he'll even fight against Goliath. And he'll be the one who will slay Goliath with a sling. We know he can fight. We know that he at least has some musical abilities. At one point, we find that he is the harpist for King Saul. This is a guy who's very talented. Samuel says... I will anoint you to be the next king of Israel. I want you to know at that point, David had a choice to make. I know he's still young, he's still smaller than everybody else, but David had a choice to make. What if David had responded, well, you know what, I really like taking care of sheep. I think I'll just continue to take care of sheep for a little bit more. I don't know if I'll be able to play the harp as much if I end up as the king. So, you know, I don't know if I, I, I like this idea of me being the king. 
That sounds really crazy, doesn't it? Because the fact is, if he's the king, he can play his harp all he wants. Nobody's going to fuss at him. But the point was, he could have settled for where he was. He could have settled for being average. You know, we never would have known who he was if he hadn't responded in a positive way. If you were destined for greatness, why would you ever settle for being less than that? Why would you ever settle for being average? Moving to the New Testament, we have several other individuals who they too had a choice to make. Peter, James, John, and Andrew. Uh, Peter and Andrew are brothers. James and John are brothers. Together, they're all cousins. And they have a family fishing business. They probably are walking in the footsteps of their dads, of their grandfathers, of their great-grandfathers. Basically, if, if one of them was a fisherman, the other one was going to be a fisherman. They probably got their own boats, got their own nets. Uh, they probably have a contract with other uh, people in the marketplace where they bring their fish in and they provide it and they, they make a pretty good living. They've got families already. But all of a sudden, their world gets turned upside down. We read in Mark chapter 1 where Jesus comes to town. Now, Mark chapter 1, you got to understand, this is the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. Jesus has just begun to preach and to gather people. And I don't know, maybe Jesus all along was one of those miracle workers and people knew who he was. Remember, it's at the beginning here, but Jesus was able to do incredible things. I, I imagine even as a boy, people knew who Jesus was. When they're at the wedding at Cana, Mary goes to Jesus and says, hey, we're out of wine. Uh, the, the bride and groom have run out. Can you do something about it? Why did she go to Jesus? Because she knew that he had done miraculous things before. What happens here in Mark chapter 1 is Jesus walks along and he comes upon these individuals. Initially, Peter and, John, Peter and Andrew, and then later, James and John. And what he does is he invites them in Mark 1.17. He says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now, I understand this idea of fishing. There's still the same principles in play with the fishers of men as what you might run into a little bit with fishing for fish. But I wonder, what if Peter, James, John, and Andrew had simply said, I don't know, Jesus. We got a good business here. We, we kind of like just the way things are. There's stability. I know what I have. I know what I'm dealing with. I think we're just going to stay here. I don't think we're going to follow you. Think about it. They have a home. They have a place to lay their heads. They have money coming in. It seems like a good position they're in. But if they follow Jesus, they're not necessarily guaranteed any of that. Remember, he's at the beginning now. He doesn't have the huge crowds following him yet. Peter, James, John, and Andrew have to make a decision. Will I settle for the life that I've already had? Or will I accomplish the work that God has for me, which seems so much bigger? Again, do you think we'd be talking about Peter, James, John, or Andrew had they not chosen to be great as opposed to settling for what they had before? There's one last example I have for you, although, again, there are many, many examples that we see. Uh, this one is a guy named Matthew. He is a tax collector. He had his own business again. Matthew was a Jew. Uh, the way their culture worked in their day and time, the, uh, the Roman government knew that the best way to collect money was not to send another Roman in and have him set up shop, because basically he didn't know the people. 
he would come in and they would find every way possible to try to cheat their way out of paying their taxes. So the government, the Roman government said, we will hire fellow Jews to allow them to be a part of that process. Matthew, as a fellow Jew, becomes a tax collector. Again, we're talking about a business where he makes a pretty good living. Not only does he have stability because the Roman government's always going to want taxes collected, but in addition to that, tax collectors were notorious for skimming off the top, taking a little bit for themselves. If they were supposed to collect $100, they might collect $110, and that extra $10 the Roman government didn't know about, so the tax collector got to keep that for himself. So what happened so often was tax collectors found themselves very comfortable. Downside was this. Even the Jews hated the tax collectors. They were looked down upon all the time. In fact, the the term sinner and tax collector become somewhat synonymous with one another. In fact, we see it on, on multiple occasions in the New Testament where tax collectors and sinners are grouped together as one. Well, Jesus comes upon Matthew, and we read in Matthew 9, 9, as he's basically recording his own uh, story, it says, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and he followed him. What we see here is multiple examples of individuals whom they had a time doing these other things, but now it was time for them to do things God's way. I would say that for every one of us, whether we're talking about a graduate or those who are perhaps at another point of transition in their lives, did you know, first of all, that transition happens all the time? I was with a group of senior citizens this week uh, at a nursing home in Anderson, and I was talking with them specifically using this particular illustration again, and I recognized that There is such a contrast with where they are as opposed to where our high school graduates are right now. They're at a point of transition. This group that that I was with on Wednesday, uh, these are individuals who there were times that they were business owners. Uh, They were uh, in the military. There were a couple of them that shared that they were homemakers. Uh, Different roles for each one of them. Now they live in an assisted living facility. They don't get out unless someone else takes them. They seem to have lost some of their freedom. But does that mean that life is over? Or have they just transitioned again, again, and again? The reality is change happens all the time. What I want you to recognize today is that change will happen in your life, but we serve a God who never changes. And he will always be with us no matter what we go through as long as we seek him. Our initial passage that we looked at this morning in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 tells us that we will receive power. God never intended for us to be average. And don't misunderstand what I mean by this. It's not that I'm looking down on anyone who has done average things. But God intends his people to do great things. Because he is a great God and he chooses to allow his Holy Spirit to dwell in us. And therefore he expects us to do something with what we have. To whom has been given much, much will be required. Well, if the Holy Spirit has been given to you, then you have received much. Which means he doesn't want you to just be average. He wants you to stand out in a world of averageness. He wants you to stand out. So that the world may look at you and know that there is something different about you. And it is because of the power of the Holy Spirit alive within you. 
Many of us are basketball fans. This past week, uh, I, as much as I love basketball, I am glad that the NBA Finals are finally over. Um, this past week, uh, the Golden State Warriors knocked off the Cleveland Cavaliers, and I will tell you that uh, I know some people have different opinions on this. Some of you don't have an opinion on it because you don't care about basketball, and that's okay too. Um, one of the players on the Cleveland Cavaliers, I can't stand to watch him play, but he would never want to be average. His name is LeBron James. LeBron James has played in the NBA Finals each of the last, what, five years now? Sometimes on good teams, sometimes not so good teams. Whether I like watching him or not, the fact is he determined a long time ago he would never be average. And therefore, he has given everything that he has to be as good as physically possible. I'm not here to talk about basketball with you, but I want you to understand that we, too, must never be satisfied with where we are. God wants to do great things through you and me, but we can't do that if we're, we're just okay with where things have been. God desires for us to do great things, and a big part of that is us getting up and going, us making the effort, us taking the initiative to follow God wherever he would lead, us not being okay with just being like everybody else around us. Second part of that verse in Acts 1.8, it tells us not only that we will receive power, but it says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Too many of us have been trying to do this Christian living thing on our own. Too many of us have tried to be good enough. I've heard so many individuals who would call themselves Christians and they will talk about the goodness that they have in their lives. They will talk about the fact that God is a gracious God and there will come a day that he will look and he'll realize that I've been a good person. Do you understand that your righteousness is nothing but filthy rags? You can try to be as good as you want, but your goodness will never be enough. First of all, Jesus Christ has paid the price for your sins. We are counting on his goodness because he's the one who paid the price. In addition to that, the Holy Spirit now dwells in you. The moment you choose to be a child of God, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in your heart. And at that moment, it is His goodness, the Spirit's goodness in you that will give you what it takes to truly be a world changer. There are many, many people who can do many good things without necessarily having the Holy Spirit, but Again, I don't believe God just called you to do good things. He called you to do great things. The Holy Spirit is literally the Spirit of God that is given to us for the purpose of reminding us what, the, what Jesus had taught, for the purpose of convicting our souls, for the purpose of guiding and directing us. The Holy Spirit chooses to dwell within us. Do you realize what an incredible privilege that is for you and for me? Do you realize how amazing it is that God would choose to send His Holy Spirit to dwell in you and me, empowering us to be completely transformed into new creations? It's an amazing thing. You guys know that I've worked with addiction recovery stuff often, and uh, one of the, the ideas that is very prevalent in most addiction recovery uh, avenues is once you're an addict, you'll always be an addict. 
Well, that doesn't make sense. If the Holy Spirit's present in your life, if, if the Holy Spirit's presence in your life can change you from being a liar to being a man of integrity, if the Holy Spirit's presence in your life can change you from being an adulterer to one who is pure and clean, if the Holy Spirit's presence in your life can change everything else about you, do you know that he can even change the desires of your heart? The reality is when the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in you, it ought to change who you are, everything about you. I'm not saying that there won't be times that you'll be tempted but what I am saying is that when the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in you, there is a power that flows out of that Holy Spirit that ought to transform who you are. We are a people that have been taught goodness. The Wesleyan Church is a holiness church. That means that we have taught for years that we ought to be living holy lives. We ought to be doing things this way. These are the things that we should be avoiding. And we get so caught up in the list of the do's and don'ts. Keep this list. Don't do this. Man, those are great things. But I am powerless to accomplish those things. But the Holy Spirit's presence in me enables me to live a transformed life. And I believe today that every individual who is here, who has been given this gift of salvation, ought to have received the Holy Spirit as a part of that gift. And now we ought to be transformed by his presence in us. God has called us to be world changers, but we cannot do that without the Holy Spirit's presence in each of us. The last thing that it says in here is, you will be my witnesses. Don't be mistaken by assuming that this message is just for the graduates. Every one of us is called to be a witness to the world around us talking about being average and not being average, and I want the world to look at me and see that there is something different in me than what they see in the next guy that they come across. I want the people in the police department to know that there is something different in me. I want, when I come across firefighters in the area here, I want them to know, I've been working out with a lot of the police and firefighters lately, I want them to know, not because I told them there was something different, but because they saw it in me. My attitude was different. My heart was different. Maybe the words that come from my mouth also are different, but I don't want it to be just because I told them that. I want it to be because they see it in me. Every one of us, we are called to be his witnesses. Do you know what a witness is? It's someone who has seen something, experienced it in some way, and now they are relaying what they have experienced and seen to the world around them. I remember several years ago, I was uh, living in North Carolina. I was on my way. We had a softball game, and I was on my way down the, the road that led right to where the softball field was. And it was two lanes on my side, and then there were two lanes going the other direction. And there was one car in front of me. And I could see the car coming from the other direction, and she's way across the line. Well, they ended up having a head-on collision right there in front of me, and I had to stick around afterwards because I was a witness. This is what I saw. This is what I experienced. By the way, the, the lady who had crossed the double yellow line, we ended up reaching her. She started coming to our church. It became a great ministry thing, but it was her fault. The point was, I saw it, and therefore I had to stick around to be a witness. If you have experienced the grace of Jesus Christ, I don't care if you're a high school graduate. I don't care if you've 
been moved to an assisted living facility, if you have received the grace of Jesus Christ, be a witness. Not just one who saw it, but now one who will reveal it in the way you live your life. You know, every one of us has been through different journeys. None of you saw that accident, but you know what? You've got something you could witness. There are other things that you've experienced that you could tell somebody else about. What if what we talked about was not watching sports? What if what we talked about was not what our kids did this week? What if we, what we talked about was actually what Jesus Christ has done for me? The way he took my life that was destined for hell and he brought redemption and gave me hope. And today I am a new creation in him. You will be my witnesses. Again, when the Holy Spirit is present in you, how can you keep quiet about something so fantastic? It's an incredible blessing. As long as you have breath in your lungs, your call to be his witness will always remain. Maybe it looks different than it did yesterday, but it is still there. The way I initially had set up our schedule here for sermons, today's message was really just intended to be um, the pastor sharing his heart. So I'm going to spend the next few minutes just connecting here with Acts 1.8. I want to share my heart for us as a church. You see, I believe very firmly that God did not call us as a church to be average. God called us to be a people who genuinely experience his presence in our lives, where his power would flow through us and we would be transformed. The mission statement of our church is that we will be a church that makes disciples who will make a difference. Over this past year, we have focused on three specific areas that we believe that if we do these three things well, then we will be a church that makes disciples who will make a difference. The first one is outreach, reaching into the lives of those who are lost. And truthfully, sometimes that's hard to do because how, how do you connect with everybody? It's not as if everybody's looking for the exact same thing. I'm going to tell you that they are. Understand what I mean by that. I, I know some people like sports. This, this uh, vacation Bible school that Aaron was talking about earlier, I think that this is going to be a great vacation Bible school. Those kids are going to be so excited because there are going to be Clemson University football players that are going to be there helping us that first night. Do you know how exciting that is to a little kid to see these guys show up in their jerseys and you know you're going to watch them on TV? These guys are important. I know, not everybody cares about that. Some of you are Gamecock fans, and first of all, I'm sorry. I'm just kidding. Not everybody is excited about a Clemson football player coming. I get that. Not everybody cares about basketball. And we have a great time on Tuesday nights. We play basketball here. We have a great time doing all kinds of sports stuff. Not everybody cares about all the same things. But I will tell you what our world is desperately seeking. The world around us is desperately seeking a people who are genuinely filled with that Holy Spirit that I've been talking about. You want to reach into the lives of those in this community? Start by making sure that you are the man or the woman of God that he called you to be. What will happen is they will look and they will say, I don't know what you got, but I want it. We need to be people who are so focused on Jesus Christ that other people say, I want whatever it is you have. I believe that God will 
Help us to continue to reach people in this community. He has already, but God wants us to do so much more. There are families that are hurting all around this church. This past week, I had the opportunity. I was with um, uh, one of the couples from the Creekwood Village where we went and did some ministry back at Easter, and I was talking with them. And uh, tell you the truth, there's such a need for Christ. It's not about money. It's, it's not about individuals not having transportation. There is a need for Jesus Christ. I loved, as soon as, I know they, they know I'm the pastor already. So the first thing that I hear, hey, pastor, sorry I haven't been to church. I already know you don't have to confess. It's okay. But then they begin to share about what they truly loved, which was a church that reached into their lives and cared for them. We are to be a church that is about outreach. But in order to really do that, we must do the second one well, which is discipleship. We need to be a church that is continually growing as individuals. We need to become more like Christ every single day. When was the last time you spent good time in God's Word? I'm not talking about just that brief, read that one verse and run, because you don't have time for the Bible this morning. When was the last time you sat down and just read your Bible for 15 to 20 minutes? When was the last time you came to Sunday school or got involved in a small group where you could actually dig into God's Word together with other people? When was the last time you helped somebody else along that journey so that you could help them get into God's Word to dig in so that they could apply it to their lives? That's the type of church we're supposed to be. I know every church says, oh yeah, we're a discipleship church. <laughs> no, we're not. If we're not actually making disciples, if we're not growing as disciples, don't call us a discipleship church. You know how that changes right now? We need to decide, I am going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. I gave you examples of Peter, James, John, Andrew, and Matthew earlier, individuals who they left everything that they had so that they could go and be disciples of Jesus Christ. I'm not telling you you have to leave your jobs or you have to leave your families, but I'm telling you it does not happen without an intentional effort on our part. We must be disciples. We go after it. We seek it. We spend time with him, the one who should be molding and shaping us. That's Jesus Christ. We must be a church that is making disciples. And the last thing, and again, this is a very appropriate uh, point of emphasis today as we celebrate the graduation, but the, the last focus that we've had over this past year has been on next generation or children's and youth ministry. You know that the average individual will not receive Christ if they do not do so before the age of 12. Uh, 90% of those who are, will receive Christ do so before the age of 12. Do you, do you understand that? That means that youth and children's ministry are incredibly important. And we need to give everything that we can so that these young people, when they come up, they will be ready not only, to be the, not only to be the church of tomorrow, but to be the church of today. That they will begin that process of transforming the world, maybe beginning by helping to transform this church and allowing the Holy Spirit to be their guide along the way. Truthfully, my hope is that every one of you has been involved with all three of those. But what I would really like to do is six months from now when I share these three points again in front of you, you'll hear them individually separate between now and then. But six months ago, six months from now, when I do 
some of this with you again. I want to be able to look and say, how many of you have been involved with the outreach ministry of the church? And I want to see hands raised all across. How many of you have been involved with discipleship? And I want to see hands raised. How many of you are investing in the children and the youth? You say, I'm not a children's worker. I'm not a youth worker. I didn't ask that. How many of you are investing in the children and the youth, loving on them, being there for them, just being a grandparent or a friend or someone who will show them what it is to be a child of God? One of the best parts of a church that is intergenerational, which this would be one of those churches, is when senior citizens can invest in young people who can love on them and show them how they're supposed to live. And then the young people have the opportunity to bring that energy and life that perhaps sometimes the senior citizens have forgotten about. We ought to be a church where we are connecting with one another, but we must be about truly about the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives. When that happens, it will transform everything else. We will be a church that is doing evangelism, is doing outreach. We will be a church that is making disciples. And we will be a church that's making a difference in the lives of these young people around us. My hope and prayer is that each of you will be a part of that. Um, I love this church. I love that this past week while I was gone, so many of you stepped up. Thank you for doing that. But I want to see what kind of difference we could make if truly we were 100% sold out all the time for Jesus Christ. If you would bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Father, as we come before you today, Lord, we are grateful for you and for your grace. We're grateful for the fact that you have called us to be more than just average. You haven't called us to be a salad bar. You called us to be that strong engine that is driving and that is, that is pushing this church forward. Lord, I pray that you would empower us by the presence of your Holy Spirit to truly be world changers. I pray that the world around us would look at us and they would see within our hearts something that is completely different, that they would know that whatever it is that we have, they need. Lord, I pray today for each individual who is here that you would fill us with your Spirit and that you would work mightily on our behalf and on your behalf. Lord, I don't know where these teens will go from here, but I pray that your hand would guide them every step of the way, that they would be drawn closer to you every single day, and that they truly would be the church. I pray that you would be with those who go to college, give them incredible abilities to process and understand. For those who are entering the workforce, I pray that you would allow them to become missionaries, even in their setting now. Lord, I pray that your anointing would be upon them. And I pray, Lord, that whatever path they take, they would always sense your presence. For the rest of us, Lord, I pray that you would help us to recognize that you will always be faithful to us. While we go through changes, help us to lean on you, knowing that you will never change. For your spirit has chosen to dwell in us, and you will be the stabilizing force in our lives. May you be our strength. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.